You are listening to the Wi-Fi Ninjas podcast, where we talk about wireless technology. Here are your hosts, Mac Daring and Matt Starling. Hello, and welcome to the Wi-Fi Ninjas podcast, episode number three. I'm one of your hosts, Matt Starling, joined with... Mac Daring. Hello. How's it going, Matt? Very well, thank you. And yourself? Never been better, as always. Thank you very much. So, what are we going to talk about today? Uh, so, first of all, we'll cover off one of our recent challenges, but our main topic today to cover is predictive surveys. What this means okay. in a bit more detail, the difference of being on-site and off-site, and some considerations. Okay, so predictive surveys, which is part one of our 4P series, where we'll cover all four types of surveys. It will be predictive survey, pre-deployment, post-deployment, and periodic. And we will have a short episode on each of those survey types. Exactly. And we'll just drill down into each one in a little bit more detail every episode. Yeah. How exciting. Yay. Very (laughs) exciting. Of course. Of course. Everything wireless is. Isn't it? No, yeah, definitely. (laughs) Okay. Let's start with a recent challenge then. I will crack on. Um, So thinking about the recent challenge that I had in relating to a predictive site survey, uh, the first thing that comes to my mind is the recent design that I've done for the retail shop in London. Hint, it's the retail shop in London. So um, it's really, really old and lovely and it has a couple of levels and each wing of the building, the building has three wings like central, uh, east and west or whatever. Uh, each, each area has a massive atrium in the middle of it and they're required to have voice quality uh, network inside this building. Uh, also saying that sometimes over the Christmas period they have like 4,000 users in this not too big shop which makes it extremely high density from time to time and also they started using uh, location tracking elements it's not like a full location tracking no triangulation no hyperlocation it's just zone based tracking based on the uh, AP to which the client is connected to, but still they are looking at using some intelligence uh, around that, some engagement with clients. So the wireless network is a crucial element in this deployment. So when we have Christmas period, which is the busiest period of the year, it cannot die. So not only high density, but also voice and a lot of atriums. What we did see when we came over to the building is that the existing wireless deployment was barely working. They had quite a lot of access points. Actually, it was hundreds of access points. It was a very, very heavy uh, AP heavy deployment with overlapping levels skyrocketing to 20 plus around the atrium areas. And the biggest challenge of this deployment was to ensure that we tick all the boxes without having any overlapping or minimal overlapping, as minimal as we can get. And also it's in central London, so as you can guess, there was quite a lot of Wi-Fi happening around the building. So what we have done is we uh, we identified the places where super high density is needed, like on the ground floor, ground floor where people are coming to the building and they start looking at these beautiful displays. This is the place where it will be the worst 
in, games, in, in terms of, of high density. So we put directional antennas uh, in there, actually sector antennas, so very directional. The area is not too big, it's like 30 by 30 meters. So we put two directional antennas into sides of this room and pointed them slightly outwards. So when you walk around the room from one side to the other, you will jump between those two access points because they are super, super, uh, super directional and it works like a charm there. Uh, we wanted to use omnidirectionals initially, but it, it wouldn't quite work. Uh, more intelligent devices they probably would connect to uh, least used access point, but standard devices just look at their SSI, so everyone would connect with the closest AP. So we use directionals to steer the clients equally between them. And also around atriums, we reduced the number of access points massively to reduce the overlapping, but just ensuring to uh, hit the box with the capacity and making sure that the roaming boundaries are, are still nicely uh, predictable and, and, and pedantic. Uh, so we put the access points uh, around the atrium only in locations where they are not too exposed to the atrium itself, like in the corner, somewhere, somewhere behind, so it doesn't look, uh, it doesn't, mm, it doesn't really like leak to, to every floor around this atrium um, instead of putting them too close to the atrium. I'm not sure if you, you, you get what I mean, but if you put the access points too close to the atrium, one AP will be seen from all the areas around this atrium, which is probably not the best idea in the world. So less number of access points, directionals, uh, while still, still ensuring that capacity uh, is, is there. And it worked like a charm. It works perfectly and it was quite a massive challenge, but we smashed it. How about you, <laughs> Matt? What was your challenge? So a couple of client sites that I've been to recently have either been advised by a previous incumbent or uh, just wasn't quite sure based on their environment what type of access point and antenna was the correct model for their environment and just made an assumption. And in two separate client cases that I've been on site, I've seen the wrong type of access point and antenna being installed uh, in, in the environment specific to the, what the customer requirements are. So what I was seeing at the customer site is that in, in a large kind of office environment with not many internal walls and not much stuff to really attenuate the, the signals from the access points they've got, model of access point with an external antenna uh, and we were speaking to like the building management, uh, there's no real reason why they had to go with this kind of AP and antenna from a physical mounting perspective. It was just a choice that was made by a previous company to advise them on this. So what, I'm, what we're seeing is that the signal from the external antenna is just too strong. It basically is creating large cell sizes, which is increasing co-channel interference, which um, hopefully everyone will know by now that that actually if you introduce another access point working on the same channel as another one of your access points in, in your network it just reduces the um, capacity by half so in this kind of environment what we really wanted to do is to limit the cell size and manage them more so you'd want to use in an internal office environment with not many uh, walls or 
offices and things like that to attenuate the wireless is to just use internal model omnidirectional antenna access points. Um, so that was a kind of challenge that we were seeing. We tried to do some things on the controller to kind of manage the power levels of the access points and the antennas, but even with them turned down to low, the, the lowest power levels, they're still having like a really large footprint across the across the office and bleeding yeah. bleeding uh, out. Yeah, and it, it's it's also not great to limit power level too much, right? It's better to design uh, it properly because low power yeah, levels so means lower modulation schemes and stuff. So exactly. So we yeah. ideally we wanted to be able to work on kind of like half. But we're looking at Cisco as an example, between levels one and six, you wanted to be at working around power level three, which is roughly around half power. But with yeah. With the amount of 2.4 interference, even with them turned down down low, the 2.4 was really kind of overutilized just just from the own, their own network. So one of the challenges that that was one of the challenges we had with that customer, and obviously advised them to buy the internal model ones. And with some slightly different AP placement as well, we was able to set some more kind of like roaming boundaries and use what kind of stuff they had to attenuate Wi-Fi to better. So that was one of the challenges. And, and also um, at a, another customer site with the wrong access point and antenna being used, there was a warehouse which had lots of warehouse racking um, running throughout this, this warehouse. Um, when they first designed it, they just put uh, installed a external access point with some external dipole antennas just really high above the racking um so when i was speaking to some of the uh, drivers that drive the forklift the truck to pick up the pallets or people scanning down one end of the, the warehouse racking they were saying that when when they're at one end it works okay but by the time they get to the other end it just the scanners drop off and don't work so that was just another example of the wrong type of access point and antenna being deployed um, specifics for customer environments and then what we did to uh, improve the wireless in the warehouse was to use directional antennas at one end of the aisle to point them facing down the aisle uh, and as soon as they did that the signal was able to propagate throughout the whole racking and the people were much happier with the wireless and being able to actually use it throughout the, the warehouse Nice. <laughs> it happens very often, right, in the warehouses that the uh, network is designed 10 years ago and then the layout changes and then everything stops working. Yeah, additional warehouse rack, like racking gets installed. Like we, me and you saw it when we went to a, a site a few months ago where they'd actually designed about 10 years ago the wireless pretty well, where they had the antennas directing down all of the, all of the aisles on the wall. Uh, and then the... Uh, they decided that they needed some more racking space. They just built a, a rack in front of the wall where all of the access points and antennas were. So, it kind of stops the uh, when they uh, when the rack was at full capacity, it was just completely blocking the uh, the wireless. So yeah, even sometimes with, with a perfect design, some things can still change on site that can impact it. So that's why yeah. one of the, one of the four P's is crucial: that periodic survey, which we will talk about in another episode. Exactly. <laughs> and we'll also talk about warehouse designs in one of the episodes as well. So yeah. <laughs> stay tuned for that because warehouses, it's, it's a really uh, nice, challenging and 
quite frequently funny environments to work in when you see like you know omnidirectional antennas installed 35 meters above the ground and it's it, it's quite funny okay uh, <laughs> so <laughs> shall we start discussing maybe the main topic uh, our sure. predictive side surveys uh so maybe let's start with a short uh, description of what the predictive side survey is what do we use it for and what is the outcomes of producing the predictive uh, site survey? Uh, what are the elements uh, that we need to perform as part of predictive site survey? And yeah, and that's that's pretty much that's pretty much it. And what software do we use? Hardware and stuff. We we were talking about it quite a lot in the previous episode, yeah. episode two. So we won't spend too much time on it. But let's just briefly, uh, briefly uh, discuss it quickly. Okay. Sure. So, Mr. Matt. What is the predictive site survey for? Who needs a predictive site survey? Well, every, everyone needs a predictive site survey. Um, Does my grandmother need a predictive site survey? Any, anyone that's deploying a enterprise level wireless network needs to have a predictive site survey. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> um, so the predictive site survey, I'm just going to assume at this point that you've gathered the information and the requirements from the customer, what type of design they're looking for, how many users, um, and all of that kind of information. You've had that kick off with the customer, and now you're ready to do your predictives, your predictive survey, uh, and what that means. The predictive survey is where you will be doing the design for the customer with their floor plans based on the requirements, based on their environment, and um, based on the success criteria. And then what we use to do this is Ekahawa Site Survey Software. Uh, if you are not familiar with what this is, we speak about it a lot in our previous episodes, so I won't go into it in too much detail, but it's the it's the software that we use with a piece of hardware from Ekahawa called the Sidekick. Um, and then what we look to do, there's a on-site element to this and an off-site element. The Okay. So let's let's maybe just stop here. So uh, sure. what you've said so far is that we need to um, to have a success criteria and capture all the requirements and client expectations yeah. uh, in a, some form of a technical kickoff or a questionnaire, and then only when we have those elements we can start uh, start working on the predictive side survey. So just talking exactly. a little bit more about the pre requirements, uh, what informations do we look for while approaching the client or the client is approaching us. Uh, what what do you normally ask the client for? Uh, what are you looking for uh, for them to provide you before you start your work? Well, main thing that you definitely need is floor plans and accurate floor plans, ideally um, up to date in either CAD file, DWG or at least PDF format. You want to yeah. ascertain from the customer what actual services they are looking to to gather to get out of the of, of the wireless survey and what they're looking from from their from their wireless is it is it just a basic data only where they just need some basic coverage are they looking to use the wireless to perform voice calls video calls that Skype for business Webex Teams Link all all that kind of stuff or is the customer aiming to achieve some sort of level of location analytics from the wireless and the reason why you need to know if it's what type of design the customer is looking for is because depending on the type of deployment, either basic data and voice, uh, data, basic data only, or voice and video, or location will impact the way that you deploy the access points throughout the site. And, and the number like, as well, right? Yeah, be, <laughs> yeah, it can be significantly more from just the data only, basic coverage to a location-ready analytics deployment. Uh, and the yeah. other thing that 
the other the other thing you'll need to know from, from the customer is what clients will be using the network because the client is king you need to design the, the wireless network for the clients that are going to be using it and it's not just the best model of the client that the customer is going to be using you need to design for the worst model of client device that's going to be used on the network 100% sure and also we very frequently uh, have uh, clients that they think that they really know what they want, but we sometimes have to steer them towards the right solution. Like we have an enterprise offices and they tick all the boxes. Oh, I need voice and video and location tracking and high density as well. And by high density, they think that, you know, a desk with four people around is high density and location tracking, it means so they know which access point the client is uh, associated with. And if you tell them that, you know, if you want to hit all those boxes, provide a location tracking proper one and, you know, and all this stuff, you need to have uh, like a platform, like a prime for maps and then maybe CMX and then yeah. triple the number of access points and install them on the outer perimeter of the building. And when you start discussing it, it just uh, give you this, you know, this, this uh, <laughs> skirt, a glance with big eyes. And then you revise uh, the questionnaire and, you know, and the expectations and, and requirements. And yeah. also, by... yeah, I was going to say also, you kind of, one of the, one of the funniest questions I usually find when I ask customers say, what areas are in scope? And the customer go everywhere, everywhere is in yeah. scope. The yeah. whole, the whole floor, the whole building. I'm like, right. Okay. So the pl these plant rooms that take up quite a lot of space on one of these floors, you, you want you want Wi-Fi in there, that's going to be an additional 10 access points to say. You want Wi-Fi in the toilets? No? Okay, great. So now you can start to descope some area. What about the stairwells? Because stairwells are generally the core of the building and they're covered with concrete. So if you want wireless coverage in the stairwells, you need to put APs in the stairwells. And then suddenly yeah. they start going, oh, okay, actually, no, yeah, maybe we don't want, don't want wireless everywhere. I'm like, right, okay, so... <laughs> maybe let's go through the plans together and work out exactly where you do and don't want wireless because the worst thing is, is that when you do design wireless for everywhere and it's 10 times the amount of access points that they're expecting and then they go through it and they go oh actually yeah no we don't want it there we don't want it there we, we, we don't, maybe we can take them out it just yeah, saves exactly. you time saves the customer time yeah and in the pre-rex pre is also worth noting where the data cabinet is located to ensure that the cabling to the access point is practical uh, we need to know exactly what applications are going to be used to to know what bandwidth those applications would need to uh, have and while she's talking about the cable and while she's talking about the cabling closet it may be worth just mentioning but is there a certain length maximum that you can run a cable for to, to a to an access point yeah, so theoretically, 100 meters is a good rule of thumb, which we would not like to exceed. And also, if we are using a multi-gigabit, um, the distance is, is shorter than, than 100 uh, meters. So you need to check with your vendor if you are using something something really you know fast of an older type of cables like Cat5, and you want to have five gigs or something, then it's it's probably shorter. So it's it's worth checking as well. Nice. Yeah, I know, I know, it's super mm. nice. And then based on this, <laughs> based mm. on this information, initial info from the client, we can uh, decide roughly 
which model of access points we would like to use. We look at the type of the venue, if it's an enterprise, you know, open space, or if it's a warehouse, uh, where potentially based on plans, we would be able to, to mount the access points. And uh, we make a list of assumptions that we verify at a later stage. But at this stage, we should know if we are going to use omnidirectionals with internal, external uh, antennas or uh, external directionals or internal directionals, industrial, outdoor or indoor, this kind of stuff. So we are prepared when we when we go on site and we know what questions to ask, you know, and this stuff. So uh, that that's it in terms of uh, data uh, capturing stage, right? Uh, the requirements yep. and stuff. And the next thing, well, two things, actually uh, three things, <laughs> is on-site on -site visit, off-site yep. uh, design, and probably the last step would be creating a nice and sexy report. Mm -hmm. So let's just start uh, to summarize the steps that we need to perform on-site. Uh, do you want to, to crack on? Sure. So on-site stuff that you you need to check whilst whilst you're actually on site physically is for your design in echo where you're going to be building in the the, the walls the doors windows uh, any other kind of elements that may be causing any like attenuation is to actually go around and test some of these um, materials to see what the actual loss of signal is between the walls or the floors and then what you can do for this is have like a little test access point that you have powered up or tether your phone and then stand on put that at least five meters away from the object that you want to measure the attenuation of and then stand on one side of it for take an average reading over a minute or two and then go and stand on the other side of that piece of material and then measure the 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 readings again for another minute and take the average reading of that and then having like a general feel and like a generally like a little knock on the wall or if you can see it's glass and how thick it is you to be able to get it you should have a good rough idea of how how thick and how much it's gonna how much loss there will be yeah. and once you've done that uh, very frequently it's completely different to what you would expect right if you have like yeah. firewalls or uh, sound insulated walls or double drywalls or brick yep. inside the plaster which you don't see then it will look extremely different to what we would have assumed otherwise so we assume that exactly. the drywall will be two or three dbs and in the real life it's you know 23 dbs or you have a bomb proof glass with 16 dbs uh, attenuation so it's it's always a amazing idea to go on site and measure it it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's super important because if you put into your design that the wall is actually, uh, you, you think it's only 3 dB loss of attenuation, but really it's 23 dB, the amount of extra additional access points you will need because of that is going to be high. So it's good to do these kind of like checks first uh, on site exactly. and repeat that for the, for the ceiling as well. So when you're doing your 3D model, you can put in as accurate information as possible because it's garbage in, garbage out. So the next thing that you want to, <laughs> the next thing you want to check whilst you're on site, or if the customer site has already got a wireless solution, uh, Cisco wireless line controllers or Meraki, you can check the traps and logs to see if the site is affected by radar or DFS events, uh, and then what that will mean is to check to see if any of the access points are detecting any interference on the five gigahertz you need to and you need to extended um, and then the level of impact that they're, they're detecting it may be that it's only detecting it very infrequently or some access points are seeing a lot of radar events and 
that's going to take be considered into your design that you you're not going to be able to use the extra five gigahertz channels available so you'd have to just keep it to the uni one band which just limit you, limits you to four four channels so that's another thing that you want to definitely consider and check yeah and that'll be four, four channels assuming that we don't do any channel bonding yeah and while checking the dfs we have to decide if the site even is affected by DFS, but it's not frequent, maybe yeah. it still makes sense to use the DFS affected channels, you know, because if the site is high density and you would have some clients being dropped off the network, like, you know, once a day in one area of the building, it's probably still better to give them a really, really nice quality Wi-Fi uh, when the DFS events are not happening and accept the fact that a couple of users will be knocked off, you know, from time to time here and there instead of, you know, limiting yourself to just using four channels, 20 megahertz and having overlapping. Exactly. And and worst case scenario is for them users in, in that area. I mean, they're only really going to notice it if they're on a voice or a video call. Um, if they're just doing general browsing, they probably wouldn't even notice uh, that if the, the access point they were connected to detected the radar and then kicked them off and then scanned and picked another channel. Um, yeah. But it's, it's only if you're on a voice call. So yeah, reviewing reviewing them kind of traps and logs is definitely essential for your design, um, especially exactly. for that high, high density. And then yeah. kind of the last, yeah, the last kind of uh, check that you want to be doing is kind of like the RF spectrum analysis, seeing uh, what the duty cycle is like, are there any interferers on site, what's the impact from other wireless networks around the building, um, and then take, take that into consideration. How, how heavily, if it's a green greenfield site, then you won't have any users, but if it's a brownfield site and you're just you know designing new network completely uh, from scratch, it's good to see the patterns of, of usage, how users are using the Wi-Fi, yep. if they are heavily relying on it, if they don't, why? Maybe Wi-Fi is crap, so they don't want to use it at all. Uh, maybe the Wi-Fi is still acceptable and they use it very heavily. Maybe there are certain places where they use it more, like canteens or massive meeting rooms or town hall meetings. So you can only see this stuff while going on site uh, to develop a feeling to the site yourself. Uh, then while being on site, you also see uh, the potential places where the mounting of access point would be practical when it would make sense. And also you will see places where it won't make sense to install an access point in which you wouldn't know if you yeah, were which, just looking at the plan. Yeah, if you just look at the floor plan, sometimes you might think, oh, this is a great position to mount an access point. And you get there and you, and you realize, oh, there's no way this is just hard ceiling. There's absolutely no way there's going to be any chance of getting a cable to this position. Exactly. And it's, it's worth noting that a lot of clients, they just want to save money on the survey and they either don't do a survey at all, which is really bad idea, or they push to not having on element of the survey because, you know, on site is quite time consuming, right? You have to, to drive on site or fly on site or you have to get there somehow and then you have to walk around, you know, and do it slowly, nicely take your notes. It, it takes time and they will have to pay for your time and they don't want to do it. So they just want to, uh, to stick to the off-site element, uh, which is just a simulation without having all these super important measurements and visual site inspections and, you know, uh, spectrum analysis checks and and attenuation checks so it's we always push back uh, ensuring to include this element in our surveys otherwise you cannot guarantee that the survey will be of good quality and if it will be even close to what will be seen in the real life so on-site element is extremely crucial and the only uh, the only uh, scenario where we don't use it sometimes 
when we don't force it to matches for, for sites that have one or two access points and where you really cannot do it wrong, where you don't care about sites attenuation, uh, attenuation or ceilings, you have just single, single office, then you probably can get away without the on-site survey, but in every other scenario it's crucial to, to go on-site. Yep. Exactly, so and then should we talk about the off-site elements or what we were doing with all of that information gathered from the on-site part of it? Yeah, sure. So off-site, once we capture all the information on-site, then we have to start doing a design. And how I normally do it, while being on-site, I take my tablet or, or a printout of the of the floor plans and I walk around and I think with just, you know, pen and paper or, or a visual pen and, you know, and a tablet touchscreen walk around and just think, oh, I would probably put an API here because I feel it will make sense and there and there and then I put some notes around it. What is the height of the ceiling? Uh, where I would put this AP? Why would I put it there? I will snap a picture of the location uh, while on site of, of the potential location for the access point. Then while having all this information gathered on site, it makes it extremely easy to go back home or to the office and to, to start working on the project in, in Ekahub because you have your plan already done and you are just validating it using using Ekahub. Exactly. And you have to predict everything and yeah it and you will have to uh, present it back to the client. So your piece of paper will not be as good looking as a proper report with heat maps and you know predictions done by Ekahub, which are by the way, in most cases, if done properly, they are spotless. It's yeah, extremely accurate. Yeah, yeah. So we take, take all of this and we open up Ekahau, draw the walls, uh, give them attenuation that we've measured on site. Uh, we put the attenuation areas like you know desk, people crowds, uh, light machinery, racks, lifts, uh, this kind of stuff. So the very important element is to create a, a proper, good quality model of the building. If that's not done, then, then you know, as you said, crap in, crap out. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And then once you've once we've done all of that, we've got our design, we've we've modeled it up with all of the the senior levels. We simulate the access point. Uh, we look at what what channels to use, where to, what power levels to use them, uh, and then we spit all of that information out into a, a very detailed detailed report which you then would use to present back to the client, which like, like Max said, you'll have um, the AP positions, the recommended height mounting instructions and all of the heat maps from anything from signal strength to the airtime utilization, uh, signal to noise ratio, what the interference would be like. And you can put in some capacity requirements for areas of how many users, what type of devices they're going to be using um, and configure the data rates and and, and everything. Uh, and it's extremely important because when you start putting the types of applications that you're going to use, how many users with what type of devices, you might say that, you know, maybe two access points won't be enough. Maybe you will want to convert one of the access points from a dual band, like, you know, two band IP to a dual of five gigahertz. Maybe you would need to play around with channel widths to, to increase some capacity without adding overlapping. Uh, this kind of stuff uh, you complete in, in Ekahau. Yep. which is, uh, I really like doing it. I like playing around with this, with this stuff. It, it, it's nice. Uh, then you put it into report. And I'm not sure if we want to focus on reports now. We'll probably discuss uh, reports in more detail in a separate episode. But yeah. just to give a quick overview, 
you create a very customized reports uh, using a JSON-based template in Microsoft Word. I know it sounds scary, but it's really not. Uh, you can just ask how to put certain elements of the uh, design uh, predictive site survey simulation into your uh, report. Maybe you are not happy with uh, the standard look of the report in the Echo Hub. You want to make it more customized for your company, and you of course can. And you can be as creative as you as you want. If something is displayed in Echo Hub, you can grab it and put it in the report uh, whenever you like, wherever you like, uh, in every area of the document, and you can make it look sexy. So it's it's quite it's quite cool. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Okay, and what, yeah, just the last thing, uh, what would be included in the report is normally uh, the uh, measurements of the uh, walls and stuff that we've had inside, some captures of the interference and spectrum analysis in the worst parts of the building, uh, heat maps produced by Egerhau, which will be RSSI, SNR, um, interference, uh, stuff that we've seen on site in terms of spectrum utilization, uh, all the simulated stuff, uh, channel overlapping, a simulated one uh, to show the client that it is possible to have uh, to hit all the uh, boxes to check check all the boxes in terms of requirements and expectations without having any overlapping and issues with uh, simulated uh, network and also uh, data rates and throughputs and what else do we have then? Redundancy. Uh, redundancy. Yeah, redundancy. Exactly. Yeah, it, it's quite quite a lot of uh, nice stuff. And then of course the bill of materials. So what models of access points, what models of antennas, uh, what types of mounting if we need to buy uh, external additional mounting brackets maybe they're included in the package with the access point maybe they are not so it's good to to check yourself or check with your essays uh, to, to to see whatever is needed uh, from the base equipment physical equipment perspective exactly cool yeah and I so, think that's that's really it, right? So we've yeah. discussed we've discussed the prereqs, we've discussed the questionnaire and then the on-site element element and basics of reporting, which is pretty much everything that we wanted to discuss. So shall we uh, slowly wrap it up? Sounds good to me. Cool. So uh, thanks guys, thanks for for listening today. Um, and as as always, we'd always appreciate any any feedback and comments uh, regarding the show the content uh, and if there's anything else you'd like us to cover if you want to get in touch with us you can follow our podcast uh, by going to our website at wi-fi ninjas.net and then there's some buttons there that you can click on that'll take you to either itunes spotify TuneIn, or stitcher if you want to get in contact with us you can follow as well you can follow us on, on twitter at wi-fi ninjas um, and my personal twitter account is at matt starling and if you want to let these guys know what yours is mac <laughs> yeah, sure. So my LinkedIn is Mac Daring and Twitter is Geek Wi-Fi and I also have a beautiful blog. It's geekwifi.net and you will see all this information in the show notes. Perfect. All right. Well, thanks, Mac, for your time and thank you guys for listening and we'll catch you on another episode very soon. Thanks a lot and have a lovely day. <laughs> Ciao. <laughs> Bye.